0: Hello everyone, welcome to the new episode of Everyday Talkies. Now before you jump on to listening to this episode, wait, take a breath, smile. Get your regular dose of life-changing entropy here on Everyday Talkies. Hello guys, welcome to the new episode of Everyday Talkies. We are back with the 13th episode of Guns, Germs and Steel with chapter 12, Blueprints and Borrowed Letters. But Before we start on this chapter, let's welcome our co-host Pushkar. Hello. Hello, hello. How's it going? I don't know. Like for them, whosoever is listening to us, they'll be listening to us, you know, within a span of three to four days. But guys, give us some slack today because it's been what? It's, it's been a while. Since we recorded. So we are a bit rusty there. But Pushkar, today, who should do the honours?
1: I guess I'll do the honors. I'll I'll do it very quickly, very speedily in my lazy, drowsy voice. Okay, so this podcast is about Guns, Jones, and Steel. We're going chapter by chapter about, uh, like, talking about Jared Diamond's book and the history of civilization from 13,000 years ago till now. So to recap everything that's happened in the last um, however many episodes, uh, we saw that the author was inspired by this thing called the question which was uh, which boiled down to the fact that why did civilizations all across the world uh, grow at different rates uh, across different points of time that jumped rolled into uh, different examples of civilizations from different around the world clashing into one another we looked we looked at polynesia we looked at south america and how uh, the different civilizations having different uh, rates of growth affected their clashes with each other then we looked at the first the whole part was about farming and food production and we looked at how uh, it was that civilization humanity came to you know domesticate the wild wild plants and animals which led to us becoming farmers instead of uh, staying hunter gatherers uh, and how we spread across the world and colonized it And then we moved on to the fact that, you know, how livestock changed our lives, how domesticating livestock gave certain species an advantage over certain other species. We also looked at how uh, the axes of the Earth affected the growth of certain civilizations, how certain barriers, barriers like uh, physical barriers, environmental barriers, uh, people's um, likeliness to travel, everything, stuff like that, affected uh, civilizations and their growth. And now, finally, we are here. Talking about the thirteenth chapter, sorry, the 12th chapter called Blueprints and Borrowed Letters, which is all about the rise of language.
0: But you forgot the most important thing, Puskar. Come
1: on. Oh yes, uh, modern food comes from the poop of some human being. <laughs> this is
0: the signature dialogue that you can't miss.
1: No, this is this is your thing. Like I leave that to you. I leave that honor to you.
0: Guys, so I think that is basically the recap. If you want more details, go uh, listen to the other episodes. I'm sure they are very exciting. And I think especially the last episode where we discussed a lot about how germs basically shaped humanity as is and uh, I think it was one of my favourite episodes till date yeah. now jumping into this chapter first of all you know a myth got broken not a myth but an expectation got broken with this chapter for me uh, But I was anticipating this chapter like for the longest of like for the last 11 chapters and Okay, Uh, not
1: to spoil the ending, but does this have to do with the fact that you thought Sanskrit was the oldest language in the world, but it's not? No, no,
0: no, 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 okay. no, not at all. I was not the delusional. No, it was not about the contents of the chapter, but it was all about that. When I first read the premise of the chapter, you know, back when I was just going through the contents, I thought this will be the evolution of language, right? How people spoke. But this is something very different, right? This is about written language rather than uh, language in general, because... Um, I don't know. Intuitively, I was more uh, akin on understanding how we came to speak with each other, how we evolved the concept of speaking, which I think most of these major fauna lacks, whereas humans developed that, right? Uh, moving, uh, Moving from sign language to, you know, verbal language, and then different areas of the world communicating in various different dialects. And uh, so all of that. But I think this chapter does not cover most of that. So I wanted to set that expectation with everybody. this chapter, we basically deal and understand how writing evolved across the world. So Pushkar, tell us this, that, you know, we have 11 chapters. We have read 11 chapters. And from your basic general knowledge, how does writing really help uh, human beings to proliferate?
1: Okay, so uh, what Jared Diamond likes to say is that uh, all you know modern civilizations we like to think of we, we like to think of language as our distinction from barba- barbarians to savages right and uh, if you look at history uh finding the written accounts of the civilizations kind of uh puts them above the rest like you know you have egyptians with their hieroglyphs you have sumerians you have you know the indus valley civilization with sanskrit and everything and uh people tend to think of themselves as more uh more civilized or uh, more evolved when they think of uh, themselves as being literate or having a language like th- a thousand or years ago or 2000 years ago we had a language so we were more evolved humans than say other uh, civilizations that did not develop language on their own what mostly like Jared diamond goes goes on to talk about in this um, in this basic uh, chapter is a lot of stuff about how languages come about you know like uh, how words kind of are introduced into a language and why we need stuff like adjectives, why we need prepositions, why we need all these middle things that aren't real, that are like connectors between words that kind of give a statement meaning. And it is a lot of like complicated stuff involving logograms and syllabaries and uh, all the stuff that even I cannot like uh, fully comprehend because it is, it is a bit too technical even for me. What essentially it boils down to, uh, Jared Diamond, what he talks about is that uh, the earliest languages that came about. Firstly, he talks mostly about the Sumerians.
0: Wait, wait. Pushkar, pushkar. Before you go all technical, we have to rain it a bit down and for people give some context. So, guys, this one common cause, uh, question, which if you've been listening uh, to us for the past 12 or so episodes, you know that Jared Diamond will always ask in the beginning of this chapter is, why did this thing evolve in a particular place and not the others? And why did it spread? So all of these generic questions which we answered for plants, which we answered for germs, which we answered for livestock, it still applies here. And I think he mentions that the first languages developed in the uh, Mesopotamian region then there are evidences of a language developing first in South America, independent in South America, which I had no clue of whatsoever. And then obviously the uh, first independent development in Egyptian culture as well as in Chinese culture. So, again, he, ans- he uh, tries to ask this question that why these areas and why not the other areas? So, Pushkar, go ahead and tell us what are the basic building blocks of developing a writing language and why were these areas preferable?
1: It's really interesting because um, in most places, if you look at it, language, uh, Jared Diamond says that
0: the development
1: of language was more convenient rather than, you know, our evolution into like prose and uh, kind of poetry. There was no such thing ki, like once humans started living together they were suddenly off the you know opinion that they need to write stories and create theses and you know uh, write philosophical works and this and that language especially with, with like the earliest examples the Sumerians or the Mexicans or the Chinese what we can see is that the use of these languages the use of writing was mostly done just to keep track or just to keep tabs of certain things you know to basically uh, keep a record of uh, say like uh, what you owned or what you owed someone or keeping a record of um, people and their uh, livestock and su- some such you know and so out of that uh word slowly started to develop so it wasn't like um, we suddenly were uh, writing you know the english that we know now it's not uh, connected to anything so it's so when we say a word like water Water doesn't really have anything to do with the physical... physical matter of water it's just uh, it's just a word or a sound that we denote to the to the um, actual thing you know but um, with sumerians or with um, other languages what happened was it developed very organically so uh, what he mentions is that only certain places really like developed uh, languages on their own or languages by themselves and the rest of the world kind of uh, saw these languages kind of saw these people me creating these languages and Uh, either took that idea of language and made made something for themselves or just took the language itself and kind of modified it for their own use.
0: Like even today, these linguists, right, even in Star Trek or in Star Wars or in these these sci-fi movies, we see them developing these weird, weird languages. Like I thought that they developed it out of scratch, which I never paid too much attention to because I thought it would become easy. But then I got to know from this chapter that it's not that easy. You need to define a structure, you need to have a format, which way it is written written—written uh, from red to, right to left or left to right. Is it top to bottom? And the syllables, the words, what they mean? And all the languages that we you know, constantly hear in our sci-fi world, it's all derivations from all the earlier languages. We have never t- t- developed an uh, independent language out of scratch. Maybe something from Rick and Morty, maybe? But other than that, nothing else. I doubt it, I doubt it.
1: But uh, yeah, one interesting thing about uh, this was that one interesting way of uh, developing language here um, was that, say, for example, you uh, like the most fundamental basis of language that formed was that you know uh, I assign a sound to something basic that is around me. So if you have a lot of trees around you, you assign a sound to a tree, and if you have say lots of stones around you, you assign you assign like a a, a sound to a stone. But then, if you need to convey something complex, what ended up happening was that a lot of time uh, people would just create sounds by combining these two things and then uh, create a whole new world world altogether that was completely unrelated to the uh, other two words which is called the Rebus Principle. It's really kind of interesting
0: linguistically. This is a nice example. But you know, with that example, I just remembered the Believe example, right? So if if they wanted to convey the word Believe, that is B-E-L-I-E-V-E, they basically drew a picture of a bee and a leaf. So this basically reminded me of all those uh, crappy messages that I get on WhatsApp which are basically emoticons, <laughs> and they'll make it tell me, you know, they tell me to decipher the words. Basically, that we are devolving in today's days, that nothing else, right? Because that is how languages essentially develop. Your
1: variety is going in circles.
0: Today's the use, I think people who use emoticons, I think today's generation, they would relate to this reverse principle more because we essentially communicate using these emojis and pictorically breaking down the words and making them more comprehensible. And it makes sense, right? Because how do you define this vast variety of uh, words? You can't have like images for everything. And that is where I come to this uh, whole uh, Chinese and Japanese uh, uh, writing. I thought that they were just earthworms crawling around and uh, it made no sense. Like, why would that language make any sense? Because I was always brought up reading English, right? So each letter signifies something. There's a phonetic representation to it, right? So if I say I, A, E, so there is a sound to it with consonants as well. But with Chinese, first of all, I don't know how to speak. And when I see the written language, I don't understand head or tail of it. Like one letter can be... A entire word, like, how is this possible? But when I read this book, I really understood that each stroke means something. So each stroke has a, represent, a phonetic representation. And combination of these strokes give us one logarithm or one syllable and then multiple syllables give us the word, which was profound for me.
1: And uh, it's interesting because a lot of the time, even um, the way Japanese developed, like, um, there are, like, different scripts of Japanese, right? So there is uh, one particular script, which is, like, a lot of the words in the script just are basically uh, pictorial or sounds that kind of uh, combine to convey a certain word. It's very interesting. But anyway, so back to like the oldest languages that developed. So, what happened was that uh, once people started flocking flocking together and creating cities, we needed to keep tabs of these things, right? And the people who kept tabs were either the bureaucrats or the, you know, um, people who were um, in charge of the, uh, the temples or in charge of the people who were working for the kings or the chiefs or whatever. That's how the first idea of language came to be about so it wasn't a thing that propped up among the working people or the normal uh, you know uh, farmers or uh, people who were uh, whose main job had been up until that point to just create food and consume that food you know so language did not really develop as like a thing that as a uniform thing it developed as something of a job Jared Diamond mentions that anyone hoping to discover how Sumerians of 3000 BC thought and felt is in for a disappointment. Instead, the first Sumerian texts are emotional, emotion, emotionless accounts of palace and temple bureaucrats. So technically, language was just a job. Think about mathematics or think about any sort of specialized jobs that we have these days. The growth of language essentially happened because of the requirement for these jobs. And uh, as language started proliferating, it was always kept out of the hands of the normal people or the working class or the you know uh, people who were not you know kings or not uh, bureaucrats or not you know on the uh, higher uh, social class and it wasn't until like the, the like very recently when the modern press was invented that people really got access to language got access to education so it wasn't wasn't that uh, you know having language made your civilization any better on a general basis it was just that language was born out of necessity and it kind of gave them an extra tool that could be used as more or less propaganda to uh, manipulate the masses or to uh, see that uh, your will was done like the uh, will of the people on the uh, in the upper class was done
0: i guess like that is how even maths like the basics of maths the different concepts of maths developed. Right? maths is uh, not just i would say a different tool, but it's a language on its own. It's just that most people don't understand it, so they find it very jarring. But Math is a different language explaining the concepts of the universe, right? I have to explain, you know, how language developed. I quote a simple example of uh, calculus development by Leibniz or Newton. So basically he was trying to define gravity. He was trying to understand gravity. And because there was no existing tool to do that, he invented a different tool. And that was calculus. So I think languages did the same job where they first started by these purposes. And as you correctly mentioned, they were emotionless in the earlier days. And the fact that I just want to correct a few things. So initially I had mentioned that, you know, there were two um, ways how language propagated. One was, I think, copying and the other one was independent. Independent was there, but it happened only for a few areas that we mentioned right. It's confirmed it happened in Mexico and uh, the Mesopotamian region. Chinese and Egyptian still in discussion. I don't know why, but yeah, like because I find Chinese is like very, very different. So I think they must be independently discovered or invented, but uh, no conclusive proofs there. But coming to the second point where uh, so the two different methods of how language propagated or writing propagated was blueprint copying and idea diffusion and the idea of idea diffusion is very very interesting and I really never put a pin on it until he gave an example of atom bomb so he mentioned that as soon as uh, Robin uh, Oppenheimer uh, he uh, developed the atom bomb and USA dropped that atom bomb on uh, Japan that was the first time that happened right and US was the first one to do that. They had not leaked anything, like hopefully, I don't know what is the scenario there. But somewhere around in Russian corner, they heard that they heard they saw the aftermath of that bomb and they knew something was possible. And soon within a couple of years, uh, Russia was able to make their bombs and the whole Cold War thing started. And this is not just related to this example. Like, you know, we have examples of once Mount Everest, it was initially thought that Mount Everest could not be climbed, but once the first person did it, there were there are no dead bodies lying there because. There are so many people ready to climb up Mount Everest. And it was also mentioned that you know no human could run a mile uh, within 4 minutes. But once the first person did it, there were like hundreds who did it after that. So I think it's just a mental barrier that one needs to break. And that that is the um, I would say idea behind Idea Diffusion. That once you know that there is a language, uh, that there is a system that, let's say for example, which he used for Inca Empire, Inca Empire and uh, the uh, Spaniards, where he mentioned that Spain had this language where, and that is how they came to conquer the income pair, right? Because uh, they could see the earlier conquerors, what they did, they had written records of all of that. And But the income pair never developed language. But later down the line, they knew that there was something in development. They saw written languages there in Spain. They had no clue how to do it. But because they knew they had to do, like, there was a possibility, they started their own language, right? And the whole language developer started in that area. And the other factor, which is blueprint copying, which is absolutely, I would say, plagiarism, but I think it makes sense. Because you just, uh, as I was mentioning in the earlier example, right, I saw Pushkar uh, had developed, uh, had Surplus, so he had developed language for accounting purposes, and I saw what he was doing, I understood what he was doing, and I copied it. Now, the copy can be an exact copy, uh, and that is, I think, mostly possible when Pushkar basically usurps my land, and... uh, uh, other than that, it's just that I'll make some modern, I'll make some small changes, which he gave from the Cherokee example. So the, what the example was that
1: he was a Native American
0: person who had not
1: really, uh, did not really have a language of his own. So what he what happened was when he first came into contact with um, uh, English speakers, he uh, what he did was because he did not speak any English on his own, he observed people people speaking English, the sounds they were making, and he st- sort of created a language of his own by using those sounds and assigning them, assigning the words. Like he also found like the script that English was written in. He found some documents, and what he does, did was he took the letters and he used them to assign sounds to uh, to assign. He assigned them to certain sounds and he used other symbols to assign to more sounds and using this basis he created a whole language of his own so that is kind of like uh, the blueprint uh, thing that you talked about talked about it's that um, you take the foundational basis of something and you kind of repurpose it into a different or a newer language so uh, another example of this you can take is Something like say, uh say either like what the languages that Tolkien came up with in a lot of things they're kind of like for elvish or something like that, so for Elvish, there might be a basis i I don't know for sure because I haven't really looked into it, but um there, are, there can be bases in say like Irish or say, uh, not Irish exactly, but say Welsh, the Welsh language or something like that and uh, what you can do is you can modify it in a way to resemble uh, resemble the old words but also like create something new or uh, assign different sounds to different letters so it can, you know, uh, turn into something completely new.
0: And you mentioned the earliest example, no? what in, in English we use the consonant D as D, right? It's the pronounce, like the pronunciation is the whatever, I can't say that in an audio format, but uh, what the individual did, what the Native American did was, he called it something else, he called it titch or something, right, so he used the same symbol for something totally different, and it makes sense because he does not know how to read or speak that language, he saw that common symbols, and he saw that he can repurpose those symbols for his use.
1: What is so much more interesting to me is that, um, so why the Greeks are uh, said to be so um, pioneering in terms of languages because they kind of started the whole idea of literature right so even though sumerians mexicans chinese they all had languages so to speak it wasn't really literature there was no real uh, intellectual element to it like there was some like there was like uh, an element of statistics and all that but there was really no um, philosophical or there was no like um, you know no higher uh, element to it it was simply something that came out of necessity and uh, you know, stuff like the Iliad and the Odyssey only started with the Greeks. And it started as like, um, you know, it started as oral transmission. And then it was written down uh, thousands of years later. But anyway, so my uh, what my point was that um, what is so interesting about all this is that you look at um, you look at the these all these languages that were cropping up, these uh, ancient languages—the Sumerian cuneiform, the the Mexican uh, languages, the, the Chinese uh, script—what these languages were used as mainly were to, um, you know, he he quotes this uh, anthropologist Claude Levi-Strauss. He says that um, ancient writing's main function was to facilitate the enslavement of other human beings. And personal uses of writing by non-professionals came only much later as writing systems grew simpler and more expressive. So what essentially he's talking about is that writing when it propped up, it was deliberately kept complicated because of the fact that uh nobody would like the normal people would not be able to use it and it would be kept out of their hands so you could have these clerics and these uh you know bureaucrats kind of um use the, the this language or use any sort of written document for their own use uh, and uh, either like use it for propaganda or use it to further their own cause uh, because you could essentially fool people um, with it you know because you, you could essentially like hold up a bible because there was the only there were only like four copies of bible in the whole world language that way would uh, be like a weapon for the longest time before it became uh, you know accessible to the to the mass people and now that it is now we look at twitter and uh, what a shit show it is maybe it's like it's great that language uh, maybe it would have been better if language did not really develop at all we can see how language has been such an um, such a uh, force of weapon you know even as, like as much as guns germs or steel how much of it how much it has been like today we if we look at language if we look at the amount of disinformation the amount of propaganda that is spread all over the world just to further people's causes the amount of uh, hokey literature the amount of uh, you know articles and uh, all this all this garbage that is uh, thrown out every day like there are entire like uh, you know uh, ai programs that are dedicated to uh, spewing out spewing, spewing any any sort of garbage that can basically further people's uh, shitty causes so if we look at it if we like language has played such an important part in uh, you know the whole uh, Proliferation of civilizations all over the world, but uh, one thing I one thing I really find funny um, is that uh, he mentions uh, Jared Ivan talks about this uh, one Greek uh, example of this cup that was found and scratched onto it were three lines. You know, it was which was like um, supposedly like one of the earliest forms of like one of the earliest examples of poetry, like writing or language being used for poetry. So there were like three lines for, uh, written on a drinking cup and it said that I am Nestor's delicious drinking cup whoever drinks from this cup swiftly will the desire of fair crowned Aphrodite cease. and it's such a Greek uh, you know poem it's such a funny line and I, I, I when I read that I was again drawn to like the the whole you know, Picasso thing with the Lasco painting where he was like we have invented nothing so it's like all the good that came out of language all the literature, great literature that came out of language, it feels like it already happened like uh, during the ancient Greek civilizations and after that it's just been kind of uh, us kind of repeating it and modifying it and reorganizing it and instead all the harm that language language has caused up until today is kind of exponentially higher compared to all the good things that language has given us and this is from coming from someone who who's trying to you know make his bread and butter over uh, on like languages
0: yeah i get it and you know the thing is probably when i was reading this chapter and uh, like probably we'll still have to discuss the last two pages but before that uh, i came to this conclusion that why do we always jump to this that everything that uh, that was need to be developed or everything good came before and right now we're just what do i say using it for wrongful reasons maybe maybe i think it's because of population i don't know it's a weird theory out there
1: i also i think it's mostly because <laughs> i mean we are right now saying all these things because we are every week we kind of read more about history and we see that how horrible things are so if more people just read history they can kind of uh, stop making the same mistakes over and over and over again and instead try to come up with solutions to kind of make things somewhat better
0: now i've lost hope <laughs> If people had to read history, then I had to read history. But I guess this small effort would, you know, go help this small community of ours to know more about history, to know more about why writing was used, why writing was developed, and how, you know, it's good to spread good literature and not, uh, I don't know, agendas. But aside from that, coming back to the point, I think we'll close this uh, episode out by this last section and answering the question that, you know, why did language originate in this space? Uh, in these spaces, we answer the question that why did it spread to many places we mentioned it was complex, it was sparse, it was only spoken to some regions, right? And so all of those the reasons which Pushkar had had mentioned earlier. But the reason why it developed in certain areas is, you can see parallels with our uh, earlier episodes of uh, livestock, of germs, of plants. It's the same story over and over again. The place which developed the first independent crops, right, be it the Mesopotamian region, be it the Chinese, be uh, be it the South American region, the Mexican region, because the first uh, introduction of crops and livestock was there and because that surplus and now we know why language developed because of surplus. So language developed there first because the need arose there first. And he mentions that in today's day and age where almost everyone in the world is aware of language, writing and all of that. If you uh, go to a hunter-gatherer group and ask them do they speak, do they write anything, they would say no. And the reason is that it's not that, that we can't blame them for not knowing it because the entire world knows it. But they don't know it because they have they don't feel the need to use it
1: exactly yeah they have no reason to have languages like it's in it's not that having languages makes you smarter it's just that having languages give you uh more of a pain more of a pain to deal with or you
0: know makes certain tasks easier let's not go full cynic but yeah like the idea here being that that it started with making certain tasks e- uh, easier but then it uh, you know wandered into something else totally as it happens with every other thing and that is what i predict also right that you know we have been reading about history a lot but i think that the day and age that we are living in we may be developing the new a new kind of tool which may be initially used for good and later our future generations would just be blaming us for developing or inventing
1: what are we talking about ai
0: i have no idea bro i'm just throwing it out there there might be something ai can be a common example which i think because most of us have seen the movies we know the ultimate results of ai and all of that but who knows anything can anything can
1: yeah i mean let's hope the you know the future, us the future uh, of our civilization figures out how to stop making the same mistakes and uh, kind of develops tools that help us grow beyond, you know, like stuff like arrival.
0: <laughs> True, and uh, probably as a last piece of conclusion again, just to close off the point that we were discussing, that let's say that. The South Americans or the Mexican region developed language. Why didn't it, uh, you know, move into North America region? It's not that far. Uh, why did uh, Egypt develop language, but it did not move south? Um, I think these questions were answered in our, uh, I think the eye-opening episode of uh, Tilted access, where we got to know <laughs> how the structure of the world basically determines our uh, movement. Uh, people living in the same latitude have similar weathers, have similar uh, climate, and that is why people could uh, travel horizontally rather than vertli- vertically because of the climate differences. And similarly, I think Africa being the most common example, right? So it was uh, Egypt more in a tropical region, but as you move south, you encounter a huge, huge desert, uninhabitable, right? So this, uh, this is a, this is not, it's not at all possible for people to cross there. And ultimately South Africa got language when Europe, is, Europe invaded them. So, I think that is the reasons why, because of these climatic regions, because of how humans traversed around the entire world, um, you know, language propagated. But I think that, that brings us to the end of how uh, writing and whenever we mentioned language please basically writing, uh, because I want to stress, this is purely about writing because I, I intuitively feel language I think is more, more, more bigger than this.
1: Yeah, that's true.
0: Because I, I can't um, fathom that language developed because of accounting purpose, because I remember <laughs> someday that uh, in Sapiens, we were uh, reading, right, that uh, we started communicating because we wanted to gossip. Was that the analogy that you will know Harari gave?
1: Yeah, I guess, I mean, that's what... Um, it was like language, I guess. That's why we say that language really started with the Greeks. Because they were the ones who kind of applied language to uh, all this um, storytelling and basically creating prose and poetry and uh, mythology and you know what we consider the great Greek tragedies. What were the pinnacle of human civilization back then? Which is which is really uh, interesting because the Greeks were generally said to be very peaceful, chill people. The Romans were the ones who were like barbaric and uh, kind of inv- invading everywhere, and the Greeks were supposed to be very like chill. So it stands to, and if, even if you look at writers today, like literature people today, we are the most chill people on earth. We have no, like, uh, we are not chill, but we are more lazy to, you know, uh, do anything that will uh, kind of, um, you know, do any sort of conquesting or uh, conquering or anything like that. I think a big uh, difference that we should make between writing and language Because language inherently isn't like a a giant weapon, but writing can be.
0: See, the thing is, it's it's the same adage that we have been uh, hearing, right? So there are tools around the world. You can use it for good and bad, nuclear, power. You, know, you can use it for electricity, clean electricity. And then there are atom bombs at the same time. So it's all about yeah. how we use it. And I think as Pushkar had time and time again mentioned, right from the first episode, when we started thinking of doing something doing something like this of a book review where uh, the History Teaches Us episode. Still one of my favorite episodes there where we discuss the importance of history. About knowing history, it's not about memorizing it. It's not about the school um, way where we are trying to you know, inculcate that, okay, Mughals, uh, uh, this was Humayun, Babar, Akbar. Like this is how the whole dynasty... We don't want you to know all of that. It's good to know about it, but it's all about knowing how we came to be as we are today, right? And understanding from the mistakes, not repeating them and evolving from them. I think that is what human development is all about. Given that we have free will and the ability to learn. One big thing, if you can take away from this episode, it's that use your
1: writing, use your knowledge of uh, literacy. Use your uh, use the fact that you have this gift of no- uh, language. Use it wisely. Don't kind of uh, you know use it in a... You know, careless sense because a lot of like because a lot of stuff that i read these days just anywhere you know like um, twitter newspapers just like anywhere any sort of place where you get to read stuff a lot of it seems very careless in a way That like, people don't mind their words as much as they used to granted like a lot of people did not have access to language back then and you had to like write letters so you were more considerate But these days, people don't really mind their words as much as they should. So that would be, I think, one big takeaway if you want to take from this uh, episode is that mind your words because uh, I think words can inspire a lot and they can also cause a lot of destruction as we just, you know, uh, pointed out in this chapter. So use them wisely.
0: Nice. Pushkar giving his awesome advices but with that we'll close off this chapter I think uh, we'll close off this episode this has already been long enough but uh, thank you guys for listening to this uh, next chapter I think we'll cover
1: inventions oh it's inventions and technology
0: mother, so, yeah, yeah. It's, that it's, would it's be fun gonna be interesting. yeah so we can discuss about future sci-fi yes but with that thank you guys for listening to this episode um, follow us everywhere you know the deal. but uh, thank you for listening yeah uh, buy us coffee buy me coffee.com slash everyday topics but yeah uh, take care we'll catch you in the next one bye bye Thank you for listening to this episode. Follow us on social media and do let us know if you want to be part of the next episode. Till then, live long and prosper.